Welcome to the Exchange Church Podcast. You can find us on Facebook as well as Twitter and Instagram at Exchange Houston. The following is a message from our guest speaker. And you can just see Reuben because we're working on some things. Um, I was uh, I was driving with him and I think his wife. I don't know. Everything's a blur. And he was saying, we're trying to figure out how to promote this, you know, because it's not counseling, but we're calling it that. It's not, it's not inner healing, but it is. And then I said, well, you know, it's just rapid mind renewal. And his wife said, yeah, why don't we just ask him what it was? <laughs> so I lead a ministry. I pastored uh, for seven years in Lansing, Michigan. Uh, Bishop Jamie and I go back to 1988 in Bible school together, um, uncle to his kids. He's legally godparent to my kids. So how many of you know, uh, it's great to have people you journey through life with. Because when things are getting really bad and everybody walks out, you can at least trust one or two people are going to stay there and walk in. Come on, are you here? And so um, in the course of all of this and in coming here... Um, I do corporate healing things, and we're going to do that today. Uh, we're 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 going to jump in here real real soon. Um, obviously, I know it's a hundred degrees out, and so what in the world are we doing? It's part of the message today, um, and I just want you to know that uh, you don't need what I do in the sense of the methodology and sitting down with me. But I pastored for seven years. I've done over a hundred sessions in my own life. I still do sessions. I don't recommend that anybody's going to need over a hundred sessions, okay? I'm just wired to do this. And I think because I carry it, I train people to do it, probably still for the rest of my life will be doing it. But what I want you to realize is, is even as I pastored for seven years, I don't know of another methodology that you can sit down and in two hours radically go through things in your life, get to the core of them, completely eliminate them, and they never affect you again. Because if I could find something else, I'd jump on board with that and jettison what I have. And, and, and my mandate and my grace is to heal the body of Christ right now. And so I'm passionate about it. Uh, and, and, and I'm taking time with this because more than half of you have never seen me, don't know what any of this is about. And my message particularly today doesn't focus on, on this in particular. But I'm telling you, uh, if you've been to... Cr- Regular counseling, not against that. It's going to sound like I am when I say this. Uh, It teaches you skills. It teaches you interpersonal skills. It teaches you how to survive the pain and manage the pain. But wouldn't it be nice to go to the counselor, get in touch with the counselor, let the counselor take you to a specific place or places in your life that you've forgotten about don't even realize they're there, but yet they're running on the hard drive when you're in your interpersonal close relationships, when the pressures of life come on and the ugly comes out. Come on. And you go, where did that come from? Your head couldn't guard your heart, so it's an unguarded moment, and your head goes, oh, crap, we got to get that back in there. All of that is because of places that are what I call uh, basic youth conflicts or childhood conflicts from your past. Because how you grow up, how you form, that defines you. You can try and ignore it, say, it's not my parents' fault. It's not about blaming your parents. I'm sure they did the best they could with what they had. Broken people break people, healed people heal people. Come on, are you here? Wow. Yeah. And so the reality is a lot of us sit. Uh, can I just step right here a second? Because that light's like burning me with these jackets on. Listen, I understand, because I had my own brokenness, that a lot of us sit in quiet, thanks guys, a lot of us sit in quiet desperation 
hoping that when I come to church, I'll get a little bit of relief. Rather than the other way around, where I live in the relief, and every now and then I have a little bit of stress inside. And see, none of us talk about that. Because if you got sold the same bill of goods I did when I got saved, everything's supposed to change and become rosy. And all the anxiety and stress of the world supposed to go away. And then if you grew up in my background, in my, in my persuasion, if that didn't work, then you just needed to get baptized in the Holy Ghost and speak in tongues. And that was the magic gypsy elixir to solve every other problem on the planet. And the year I got baptized in the Holy Ghost, I went from looking at magazines to looking at videos. That was a great deal for the baptism in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. I know that's too real for some of you, all right? Y'all more spiritual than I am. But the reality is this, and, and this isn't in the notes, but I feel like I should camp here a second. When you get saved, there are two types of orphaning in your life. And when I say orphaning, I mean an aloneness, an emptiness, uh, 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 however you word that. Every one of us is an orphan, just so you know. Because the definition of orphan is anyone who loses mother or father or both, emotionally or physically or both. And none of us had perfect parents. So all of us grew up in some way, shape, or form with some kind of emotional disconnect from our parents. And our parents are the representative of God in our lives to us. So in those places where either I chose for them not to have my heart or they lost my heart, that defines how I see every other relationship in God as that place in my life touches your life. Does that make sense? So there's two things that happen at salvation. You do get saved. You're a body, a soul, and a spirit. And your spirit man comes in complete union with his Holy Spirit. Perfect connection. That's why all of a sudden you become awake to him. Things change. You feel them change. You get warm fuzzies. Uh, some people call it the honeymoon of salvation. Other people, uh, it's like God answers all my prayers. Everything turns green. Uh, uh, everything I touch turns gold. Uh, everything I pray for gets healed. That's why I, I, love, I love for new believers to pray with me. Because God answers their prayers. Without them even having any idea what they're doing. If I, got a, if I got a pain in my body, I look for a new believer. Can't get no help here. Okay, so it's okay to laugh. Um, that spiritual orphaning is eradicated from your life at salvation. And it will overflow for a period of time into your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions. But then all of a sudden you get about six months or a year in and all of a sudden some anxiety starts coming back. All of a sudden some emptiness starts coming back. All of a sudden sleeping not so well anymore. And, and, and you're still reading your Bible. You're still praying. You're still doing everything people tell you to do. And, and, and you're going, what the heck? And what's happened is, is God's still there. He's still as much there as he's ever been. You can't get any more of God than what you got at salvation. It's now him coming through that mind, will, and emotions that you have that has not completely changed when you got saved. See, there is this word called sanctification, and it simply is the conversion of your soul. See, that's the journey throughout the rest of my life. And if some of us would have been told that when we got saved, we wouldn't be struggling with whether or not we're saved now. If some of us would have been told, hey, you're going to feel great and things are great and Jesus is there, but there's going to come a place where all of a sudden you're going to have to start working on your soul. Where's that in scripture? Romans 12, 2. Be not conformed to the patterns of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But listen now, here's where we miss it. That is a supernatural transformation. It's not you cramming a thousand scriptures in your brain. It's not you memorizing every scripture to combat every action that you see wrong in your life. It's not about you fasting away your pain. Come on, are you here? Yeah. 
Listen, all those are spiritual disciplines, and I'm not poo-pooing them and taking them away from you. They work really well in the right context. But to heal your heart, to take the breaks out of your mind, to, to, uh, uh, to transform your mind from the patterns of this world to the mind of Christ, which means it's the mind of Adam and the mind of the last Adam. For that to happen, it's not contingent upon what you do. It's contingent upon what the word of God in you does. That the word of God has to come alive in those places where as you grew up and were conformed to the patterns of Adam, you believe things about yourself. And you can tell you you'll succeed. And I can tell you you'll succeed. And Pastor Jared can tell you you'll succeed. And, and Kevin, Pastor Kevin's a great encourager of souls. He'll, he'll, he'll tell you every day, if you want him to, every hour. You can succeed. But when push comes to shove and you get in the pressure of needing to succeed, you're still going to default to, I'll never amount to anything. Why? Because you need to hear the word, Jesus Christ, the counselor, say it in the place where it printed into you that you'd never succeed. That's the conversion of the soul. So when people got up here today and they started testifying, what they were trying to say is, I walked into this session one way. I walked into this session heavy. I walked into this session not feeling like I mattered to God. I walked into this session believing that I was never going to get out of any of my pain. And we lasered into one or two or three places in that person's life where God led them to that place. He counseled them in that place. Some of them saw him literally in their minds in that place. And how many of you know he is the truth? He doesn't bring us truth. He doesn't give us truth. He is truth. He can't be anything but truth. So when he walks in, how many of you know everything changes? Does that make sense? So you don't need to sit with me and do this. You can hear the word of God as I speak right now. You can hear it in your prayer times. But here's what I know about sitting down and being intentional. You block everything else out, and for those hours that you're sitting right there, it's just you and God, the physician, and I'm the physician's assistant, and he lasers in. And listen, here's the thing. Your soul has huge capacity. That's like Pastor Jared said. I totally forgot about it. In essence, my soul grabbed a hold of that pain and pulled it way back into the recesses of my heart so that I could just move forward in life. Listen, if one man had a whole group of spirits in him named Legion, and Jesus cast them out into 2,000 pig souls... It took 2,000 pigs, minds, wills, and emotions to carry what one man could carry. Don't you think your soul has a lot of capacity? See, it has to because it's throughout your life marrying itself to your spirit man again. And your spirit man carries God. So God created your mind, your will, and your emotions to carry the full capacity of who God is as you journey with him and let his kingdom come into those places where you're offended, where your mind won't leave you alone, where you're carrying the weights of loss and past relationships that have damaged you. See, when you get into your 40s and 50s, your soul has accumulated a lot of stuff. And you don't even realize it. That's why you wake up one day in your 40s or in your early 50s and you're on three different medications and your back's all knotted up and you can't feel right and you wonder what's going on and, and nothing major has happened. No, it's that a whole lot of little and major things have just accumulated. I call that emotional poop. Scabola. Turn to your neighbor and say, Scabola happens. You know what's good about that word? You can cuss in Greek and nobody get offended. They may think you're crazy, but you ain't going to offend us. Come on! Feels so good. 
called my wife one day when I was on the road. I said, how's things going? She said, boy, the scabola really hit the fan today. I said, come on, honey, talk to me. What's going on? Now, listen, if you couldn't scabola naturally for three days, how would you feel? Now, think about not scabola naturally for seven days. How would you feel if you didn't have a movement for seven days naturally? Come on, man. I mean, I don't care if you got a doctor's title on the back end of your name or not. If you know how to get that stuff out after seven days, I'm bending over. You know what I'm saying? I don't care if you're an MD, PFD, MFG. I don't care what the title is. If you can get it out, get it out. Because how many of you know I'm in pain at that point? Well, listen, this is what I know. If you wouldn't go three or seven days that way, why do you let 20, 30, 40 years of emotional scabola build up in you without having one emotional bowel movement? See, in the raw realness of what I'm saying, that's what we do. We sit down and I am God's roto-rooter man. I have a doctorate in emotional poop. I sit down with you. You have an emotional bowel movement. We get that all flushed out. You feel better. Your emotions are all normal. You're connecting with God in ways you never did because all that backup disconnects you from his spirit even though he's living inside of you. Practically, you're like, where's God? Why don't I feel him? What happened to my life with him? You just need a bowel movement. Does it make sense now? Little plop, plop, fizz, fizz, oh, what a relief it is. I know I'm dating myself, but he said Polaroid, so he really dated himself, okay? So where in the world do I go with my message from here? Turn in your Bibles with me to Genesis 2.8. I will tie this together. Genesis 2.8, the title of my message today is, Are You Willing to Live Naked? Are you willing to live naked? I'm going to prove to you today that God's heart for you is that you live naked in life. Now, I'm not expecting to see any churches called First Assembly of God of the Naked Chosen. (laughs) Haven't seen it. I'm not expecting you to change the name of your church to the exchange from clothes to nudist church. (laughs) Glory to God. Although I was up in New Hampshire recently, and they had a big sign for a nudist colony. First time I'd ever seen that. I really was going to pull over and do one of those selfies and go, hey, ministry was great this week, but then I thought, yeah, I have too many... Don't want to lose any partners. And <laughs> If we want to understand the kind of relationship God wants with us, then we have to understand the original picture of what his relationship with humanity looked like. So we turn to Genesis chapter 2.8 and it says, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden and there he put the man that he had formed. And a little later it will go on to say in Genesis 2.24 and 5, That is why a man leaves his father and mother, is united to his wife, they become one flesh. Adam and his wife Eve, watch this now, were both naked and they felt no shame. So I want you to understand the picture. The picture is not initially, we got two people standing around butt naked talking to God. The picture originally for them to even be there was that God created a garden in Eden. The garden isn't Eden. The garden was in Eden. And he set this up for a purpose. And when he did this, then he put man and woman in there. 
So what's significant about the garden? I'm so glad you asked, because if you look at the word garden, it comes from an original Hebrew word that means to defend, to cover, and to surround. Now if God, this is the first point, if God's intent in his heart with humanity was to have relationship, then we need to see the structure by which he was able to do that. Does that make sense? So it wasn't that he just plopped them on the ground and they're there. He created a place for them that was defended, surrounded, and covered so that they could grow and thrive and prosper. And it was called a garden, and it was in Eden, and the word Eden means pleasure, and it comes from an original word that says, it is the pleasure of the one who created it. So what we see here is, it was God's pleasure to make Adam and Eve in a garden so that they could have pleasure, and then in watching them walk out what he did, he has pleasure. A lot of pleasure there. If there's anything the body of Christ needs, it needs to learn how to be happy and enjoy life. If there's anybody that should be happy, that should laugh, that should smile, it should be us. But it's like we got saved and our our heads forgot that we ought to be what we got saved into. Because most people I talk to are prune-faced. How you doing today? Bless God, I'm doing good. Yeah, sure you are. This is the day, this is the day. I can feel it changing now. Not done yet. The atmosphere all around. What the heck are we singing, Earl? Come on. It's like nobody told our faces there was a change inside. Why is that? It's because we don't realize God's original intent. Listen, for him to have relationship with us from the beginning, he had to set up an environment where they felt defended, covered, and surrounded. That is the whole essence of a healthy relationship, whether it's with God, with my spouse, or with you. Now, that's on different levels from God through to my spouse and to you. But if I'm going to have a healthy relationship where it's this word that I'm going to break down here in a minute called intimate. If I'm going to do that with you, I have to feel defended. I have to feel like I'm protected. Come on. I have to feel like I'm covered, which means I'm not going to be embarrassed. I'm not going to be humiliated. I'm not going to feel like every time I start talking with you and interacting with you, somehow you're going to shame me. Can't get no help here today. I don't know what's going on. Y'all got this down, right? Y'all have healthy relationships, no qualms or struggles with anybody. All our spouses here are interacting beautifully with each other in the love of the Lord. Oh, okay. So you are on page with me. Okay. We need to feel defended and protected. We need to feel covered, which means we feel safe. The reason why it says to surround means we have to feel secure. That one line in the, in the song today, his love surrounds me now. Why are we singing that? Because just like Megan said, when Jesus shows up and his love encompasses me, it changes everything about my life. See where his perfected love is, your fears cannot be. Does that make sense? But how many of you know we got a lot of fears inside? Because his kingdom hasn't reached every place in your mind and in your emotions. Oh, it's there. It's just wanting to get into that soul and scrub it down and move things around and and change the dynamic of you. But God defended, God covered, made safe, God surrounded, secured, 
this new creation that he made? Why did he make them? Why are you here? Simply because he wanted to love you. Before you'll ever realize your full potential and what you're to do on this planet, you have to get so connected with him that you're okay just being. I have so many people sit down with me. I want to know what God wants me to do. Well, tell me about how you're being with him. How a what? Yeah, how, how much do you and him talk and interact? Talk? What? Well, I talk to him all the time. Yeah, but what's he saying to you? Well, I don't know. Well, I have a relationship with him that is dynamic, meaning he comes and he talks to me sometimes first, and I talk to him sometimes first, and we interact. Now, listen, let me help some of you. As I'm saying this, I don't mean that he is literally talking to me like I'm talking to you right now, or, or, or back and forth in a verbal audio dialogue. See, that's a misnomer for a lot of people. That's probably the least way people perceive and interact with God. A lot of you are thinkers, so you're going to get thoughts from God. And you don't realize that half the thoughts coming into your head could be God, and you think they're your own, so you dismiss them. Can't get no help here from the thinkers. I know you got to think about what I'm saying because you're a thinker. Some of you are seers. It doesn't make you a prophet. It just means that the way God communicates with you is in pictures. And then when you see the picture, he explains the picture to you. This is just what he does with some of you. Some of you are feelers, meaning you're going to feel everything first and maybe get a thought about it. And the thinkers, you drive them crazy. Because your emotional spectrum is like this, and a thinker's emotional spectrum is like this. Why do they have to be so emotional? And if you married one of them, they're looking at you in their mind and going, why aren't you more emotional? God, why did God do this to us? And so, God's intent was to create an environment, a garden, so that we would feel protected, safe, and secure. And in that, then he could come and walk with us in the cool of the day. Translated to the New Testament, in peace and joy. Not in the heat of what's going on out here. He wants you to come in from that, sit down with him, and let him cool you off. The problem is, for a lot of us, the garden inside of us is as heated up as the garden out there in the world. And we don't know how to sit down with him in the cool of the day because everything is on fire. Does that make sense? And so he made them, put them in this garden, and it says that they were naked and unashamed, or in another translation, not embarrassed. I sit down with people who, they won't even get naked to have sex. They turn the lights out, don't take their shirts off. As, 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 as little intimacy as they can possibly do. Can't get no help here, Pastor. I don't know. I'm, I'm going where demons fear to tread. I'm going I'm to go there. Because listen, this word intimacy... It has a 50-50 split. When I get a husband comes in and he sits down with me and I say, what are your hopes and expectations today? Oh, well, first of all, I don't want to be here. Yeah, I know your wife made you come, but now you're here, so let's do this. <laughs> How'd you know? It's my first merry-go-round. Well, it'd be nice if we could somehow fix our intimacy problem. Now, that guy said the word intimacy. But he ain't talking about holding hands, singing kumbaya, and cuddling. He talking about sex. I can't get me no sex. She won't warm up and open up. Ain't no sex going on. 
That was a perfect place if you're going to amen me at all, guys. Guys are going, yeah, but I don't know where you're going with this, and I live with this woman, so we'll see, preacher, okay? And then his wife walks in. <laughs> what are your hopes and expectations today? Oh, can't get my husband intimate with me. <laughs> she ain't talking about sex. Thank you, ladies. I got a couple amens. She's saying, talk to me. Let's cuddle and talk. Let's hold hands and go for a walk and talk. And oh, by the way, when we go to bed, let's talk a little bit. That's a good place for somebody to give me an amen. I mean, y'all more spiritual than me and my wife, okay? Same word. Two entirely different interpretations. So the word intimate literally means inward, internal, or inmost. That's why both are right. Because without getting kiddish here, the reason we call it physical intimacy is that someone is going into the internal places of another. Come on. And the reason we call it emotional intimacy is because someone is opening the chambers of their heart, the bedroom chambers, if you will, where they want to feel protected and safe and surrounded. And open up and share those places in their heart into the other person's life where they wouldn't do that with anybody else. And neither one's right and neither one's wrong. It's learning how to bring that together in the marriage and that's a journey. Come on, are you here? Got quiet there. I didn't even get a creaky cricket. No, we ain't here. So let me tell you the, the statement definition of intimacy here. Intimacy is one to whom the thoughts of another are trusted without reservation. Think about that. One to whom the thoughts of another are entrusted without any reservation. In order for me to have entrustment of you without any reservation... I got to feel like I'm protected in this thing. I got to feel like I'm safe in this thing. I got to feel like I'm secure in this thing. I got to feel like I got a garden here. Come on, are you here? So intimacy then, in God's eyes, was birthday suits. So we have this end of the spectrum in the mind of God. And then we come the whole way over here and we have me looking like I do. And all of us in different ways, in different relationships, including God and ourselves, are on this spectrum. My relationship with God may be about here. My relationship with my wife may be about here. My relationship with my neighbors probably out here. Come on, are you here? It's amazing to me how many people are willing to strip down, get naked, and have physical intimacy, but when they look in each other's eyes, they're dressed like this. How are we doing? And see what happens is when we get married, we have this 50 room mansion. She brings 25 rooms, you bring 25 rooms. We got this mansion of a marriage. And I sit down and I talk with people and I hear them say, Yeah, we used to fight, but we, you know, we haven't fought in a long time. And I'm like, Tell me about your marriage. 
And rather than being excited to hear something from them that I may even take from me and learn from, I get sad in my heart because what they've done is they've relegated this 50-room mansion to about three rooms. Because rather than figure out how to work through what's in each room so they can enjoy one another, they walk into this room and one of them gets triggered and they get fired up and they have what I call intense fellowship, which is a spiritual way of saying we fought because that's not so pretty in church. And so they shut the door and they put caution tape over that room and they move on. And rather than realizing that you're not making me be angry and you're not making me feel rejected, rather than realizing that when we get in this situation, what's already in me is being triggered and God's call to us in this relationship and this journey is to learn how to love each other and submit to one another in an environment that says, I'm in this for the long haul with you and let's figure this out together and let's own our own stuff and not put it on each other. We just shut the door because that's easier. But every time you shut a door in your marriage or in your own heart and life, part of you dies. Because when you shut it, God himself won't go in there. Because he will never violate your will. Are you here? And so the reality here is, it's not just about women being soulishly intimate. Men, he's created us to be that way. And oh, by the way, your anger is not a personality trait. It's an emotion. And guys, if you can get angry on a dime's notice or a moment's notice, you can get loving on a moment's notice. If you can get hateful and short in a moment's notice, you can get kind and understanding in a moment's notice. It's just you have to learn how to live in your heart and not just let the ugly things come out. You need to learn to let God define your heart and let the good things come out. Because it all comes out of the same heart. And some of the hardest things that I hear when people sit down on the front end of things is simply they say, I, I can't hear God. Well, that's a problem if I'm sitting down saying, hey, let's God, let God navigate this. I don't hear God. And we talk it through like I did earlier, and then I tell them to close their eyes, and I go, God, what's the hang up here? And they open their eyes, and they go, hmm, can't be God. Well, what happened? Well, I saw this guy. Yeah? Well, I loaned him some money. He said he'd pay me back, and he ain't paid me back, and I'm pretty, I'll say it, nicely upset. Okay? Well, let's forgive him. I don't want to forgive him. I didn't ask if you wanted to forgive him. <laughs> you just said you don't hear God. We asked God why. He's talking to you, so you just heard God say to you, this is why. Oh, I never thought about it that way. I don't feel like it. I didn't ask you if you feel like it. It's a willful thing. I'm trying to help somebody here. You waiting to feel like you want to forgive somebody, you never forgive them. It's a choice. All right. By an act of my will, I choose to forgive this person. For taking my money, not paying me back. I really don't want to, God, but this guy's telling me I need to, so I choose to do it. What else do I got to do? Let's release it. And I release this. Woo! Praise God, now I can cheer for the Cowboys because the Steelers are off my ears. That's the first time I got an amen. He all shouting me down. <laughs> Wow, that's pretty awesome. Did you just get louder because like I, wow. And God starts talking. 
and they can hear. This is great. Let's do this again. What else we got? I don't know. Let's ask him. Jesus, what else you want to do? Nope, I ain't doing it. Mm-mm, no. Not doing what? Well, this neighbor of mine, another neighbor, yes. I'm in a bad neighborhood. I need to move. <laughs> this neighbor bought his son a BB gun, and his son shot out my window. Well, do you need to forgive the boy? No, he's a boy. Well, you sound angry. Well, yeah, I am upset, but, you know. Well, should, well, well, listen, forgiving somebody has nothing to do with just anger, hate, or bitterness. Forgiveness has to do with any emotion I feel towards somebody other than calm or peace. I sat and I prayed with a lady for an hour. God bringing people to her mind. Did you need to forgive them? I'd pray. God, who do we need to forgive? All these people keep coming. Well, let's forgive them. Well, I'm not offended. All right, well, let's try somebody else. No, I'm not offended. So I said, let's take a break. And I said, God, I don't get this. I didn't have to go to the bathroom. I just didn't know what to do. And he said, ask her about what it means for her to forgive. So I said, what do you need to feel in order to know you're offended? Well, I have to be angry. And I'm like, no, offense equals injury. It doesn't equal a particular emotion. And she sat there and thought about that. And she went, we don't have enough time. (laughs) Are you telling me I, yeah. You've been carrying all these other emotions your whole life. And you don't have to. And then she said, well, then I need to forgive myself because now I'm really ticked at me. (laughs) So, Father, by an act of my will, I choose to forgive that boy for shooting my window out. Boy, it bothers me. Shot my cat and my dog and... Ah! Oh, wow. I can feel. You know how many people come to me and they're living in the town of Num Numville? Don't feel good, don't feel bad, just don't feel. Wow, that's pretty good. Let's keep going. All right, let's keep going. God, who else? No, I'm not forgiven. Mm-mm. All right, well, now who? Well, it's his dad. All right, so what's the deal there? Well, he said he'd pay for a new window. It's been six months. Well, maybe we should forgive him and let that go. All right, by an act of my will, forgive my neighbor for being a knucklehead, for not keeping his word, for not changing things, for showing his son he's... (sighs) This is the day. This is the day. Woo! I can feel God. I can hear God. Woo! Can't get no help here. <laughs> Trying to help somebody. And then, and then he comes back because, you know, we run out of time. And he comes back and he says, man, I, man, I, I just, there's so much good things going on. I'm reading my Bible and I'm getting things and I'm worshiping God and I'm feeling some stuff. And I say, all right, let's, let's go a little deeper. All right. God, where are we going now? And by the Spirit, the Lord says, let's just start dealing with this mom and dad thing. No, get your hand off of that jacket. I didn't tell you to go there. Yeah, I was crazy. What was I thinking? Come on, let's walk a little more. I mean, I'm only God. What was I thinking to try and get that jacket off of you, right? I'm sorry. Let me just love you a little more. Let me just care for you a little more. See, God doesn't leave you when you say no. He just keeps loving you. He just keeps caring for you. See, God's essence is love. All he knows to do is love. Even when you smack his hand away, he just keeps loving you. 
God's faithful even when we're not. He keeps remaining faithful. See, my Bible says goodness and mercy follow you all the days of your life. Why? Because the one who is goodness and mercy lives inside of you. He doesn't jump out of you when you're doing things wrong. He hangs right in there with you. And goodness and mercy keep pounding you from the backside until he wears your brokenness down to where he proves to you that he can be your defender. He can be your safe haven. He can be the one that secures you. And then he comes back around after six or seven months and he says, now, let's talk about those parents of yours. And it doesn't feel like he's grabbing the zipper anymore. Now all of a sudden it's, well... Have I not proven myself to you? Do I not keep loving you? But I don't know what it's going to be like if I let this go. That's why you're safe with me. But what if I get hurt again? I'll never hurt you. I'll be right there with you. But what if they leave me alone? What if they don't meet my expectations? I'll meet your expectations. I'll never leave you or forsake you. Have I done that since we've made this connection? Have you felt me walk away from you? No, God. Then let's do this. And I forgive my mom for this, that, and the other thing. I forgive my dad for this, that, and the other thing. He takes you to places in your mind that those things that you forgave are printed in. He takes you to that voice inside that you hear your mom or your dad saying, you're ugly, you're fat, you're worthless. You'll never amount to anything. You're good for nothing. I wish you were dead. I didn't want you when you were born. And he begins to minister his love. I wanted you. I purposed for you to be here. I'm sorry that they acted that way to you. I gave them an opportunity to change, and they wouldn't change. Give me that garment, and you get all that out, and you go, I've never been able to feel this before. I've never been able to reach this high before. I've never, I've never had this kind of space inside me. I feel like I can breathe. And our time runs out. And we come to the next session. And we sit down. And you say, I'm always angry with my spouse. And it's not my spouse. I'm always fired up about something I can't. I can't accept my spouse the way Jesus accepts me. I don't get it. I don't. Well, that's why you're here. So let's ask the counselor. Jesus, what do you want? What do you want this person to know? And all of a sudden, you're in a relationship where your heart got broken. Maybe it's a first love relationship that you've so buried inside, you've ignored that it even happened. And so you begin to go with God in this. And I forgive this person for this thing and for not communicating to me why they they broke my heart and why they walked away from me. And I forgive them for, for trusting. I trusted them with my heart and they just walked away. And I I release it, God. God, I I said, I release it. I release it, I release it, I release it. God, why won't this come on? God, why won't this come off? Because Nate, when she broke your heart, You made a vow to never let anyone hurt you like that again. And when you make vows to protect yourself that I'm not involved with, 
You become your own God, and when you become an adult, it becomes your prison. Oh, God, I don't want to live in prison anymore. Then you need to release the vow, and you need to give me this area of your heart and trust that if you get hurt again, I will not hurt you. <sighs> That's tough. It is. All right, God. I ask you to break the vow that I made to myself. And I ask you to release. I ask you to release me from the weight of that vow. I choose to trust you with this area of my heart. To have it to hold it, to protect it, and to keep it. I choose to trust you with it. And I hear him say in that moment, in that place where I couldn't receive from him, I'll never hurt you. I went to the cross for the broken heart that you have. And I've been married 10 years. And for nine and a half of those years, I couldn't tell my wife I was in love with her. And when she would ask me, I would say, I really wish she wouldn't ask me that. Because it gets awkward for both of us. I love you with everything in me. And the more capacity I have to love you, the more I will love you. But I don't know about this in love thing. I don't know. Can't, I, mean, I don't feel it, can't connect to it. So I don't want to hurt you and I don't want to lie to you. And about six months ago, God starts working in my heart in a place, Pastor, that was so like skin to me, like that spray tan stuff. This wound was so skin tight to me. I didn't know I was carrying it. And I didn't know it was there. As if you hear my life story and journey. Because I've shared it in places. This relationship is nowhere on the tape. I would tell people I don't know what it means to be in love. I've never been in love. It's because of my parents and how they were. And all of a sudden, six months ago, in a series of sessions when I was really causing problems in my marriage. God's forcing all this to the surface. And he begins to just help me see that it's a skin I don't need to wear anymore. And literally, I'm in another state in this US, United States. And I text my wife and I say, honey, I love you. I'm committed to this thing. And I'm in love with you. And it almost wrote itself. And I almost dropped the phone. Because as I wrote it. Something opened up in me. That I hadn't felt. Since my heart got broken with my first love. See that's why. It's not a matter of what you know. That's damaging you. It's the things that you don't know and have forgotten yes. that are the real problems. Yes. True. See, just give me a couple more minutes and I'm landing this plane, okay? I know we're going a little long. God created a garden that Adam and Eve messed up in the garden. And they had to leave the garden. And in all of our lives, we're born into a garden. Whatever your last name was that you grew up with, that's your garden. It is an endemic garden for most of us. Because our parents probably weren't, some of us, saved. 
and they weren't working on their relationship with God. And even if they were, none of us have perfect parents. They're doing the best they can. But you enter into this garden. Mine was the garden of blouse, where my dad was violent, where I knew more four-letter words and how to put them together than most people know in a lifetime at three or four. Where when I was in junior high and we had cussing matches, my friends would go to cussing and then I'd go to cussing and then my friends would fall out laughing because they were like, that isn't a cuss word. And I realized my dad made up his own words. (laughs) True story now. See, my Adamic DNA is different than yours. Because I grew up in this garden called the Blouse family. You grew up in your garden called your family. But when Jesus came on the scene, and if we could have somebody play, that would be great. Because when Jesus came on the scene and he hung on the cross and he said it was finished, it was finished. And then they took him off the cross and they put him in a rented tomb. And when he came out of the tomb, the tomb was sitting on a garden. And the first person that met him said, I'm sorry, I perceive you to be the gardener. Well, the problem was not a problem. The reality is she was prophesying because what the first Adam lost, the last Adam reestablished. What this Adam walked out of, this Adam walked back into. And he said, no, no, he didn't say this. But what was going on here was a prophetic picture that said, hey, I am the gardener. And I am bringing all of humanity back to a safe place. I'm bringing all of humanity back to a place of protection. I'm bringing all of humanity back to a place of security. So when you and I awaken to who Jesus is in your life, he awakens you and he begins to create a new garden in you. And as that new garden's created in you, you can now create a garden out here. He says, you don't need those vines anymore. Let me tear them down. You don't need those thorns and thistles that you're laying on in your garden. Because they were never meant for you to lay on anyways. Let me put some sleep comfort down there. See, your promised land is not out here. The Old Testament is a picture and a type for the new covenant. And your promised land is right here. It's the 12 inches that represent your mind, your will, your emotions. He's wanting to bring that garden to you. So you got to let him tear shrubs out. You got to let him take jackets off. You got to let him take earmuffs off. You got to let him take glasses They only show one color off your eyes. Does that make sense? Let's bow our heads today. All across this room, I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to show each one of you one garment that he wants to remove today. The garment could be an offense. The garment could be a past relationship. The garment could be an attitude. The garment could be a lie in a memory where you were originally hurt and damaged. There's all kinds of garments that we layer in throughout life. I'm just going to ask him to show you one right now. Jesus, by an By your spirit, will you show each one of your sons and each one of your daughters one garment you want to remove, one set of earmuffs you want to take off their ears, one set of gloves you want to take away so that they can feel and experience you in life in a way they never have. If it's a garment of offense, show them. If it's a garment of a past relationship that needs let go of, show them. If it's a garment of attitude, show them. Father, if there's a lie driving their lives and 
it's connected to a memory that just kind of has always been there or has been there and they've not known it. They've not remembered it. Bring it, bring it up, Lord. That one garment that you want them to let go of today. Now, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I want you to just imagine with your hands out in front of you, you're holding a garment. Just put your hands out there like you've got that garment in your hands. There's nothing intrinsically inherent to what I'm asking you to do. It's a point of contact. I got my garment, God, even as I'm preaching to you, God already showed me my garment for today. I want you to pray this with me out loud all over the building. Even if you don't have a garment today, that's okay. Tomorrow's a new day. But open your mouth, release your faith so that the person beside you may have courage to release theirs. We're doing a corporate thing here. Just say this with me. Jesus, by an act of my will, I choose to forgive this person and this situation. And I release it. I release this person. I release this situation. I release this lie. I give you this memory. And as you do that, I just want you to open your hands and see that garment in your mind fall to the ground. And say this with me. I release it all to you. With all the hurt. All the pain. All the rejection. All the self-hatred. All the guilt. All the shame. And all the weight this garment has carried in my heart and in my mind. I release it to you now and I let it go. Now I want you to just assume a receiving position. Whether you just sit back, whether you raise your hands, however you receive from God, kind of like you're in worship. Because he just doesn't want to clean the place out. He wants to fill the place up. Jesus, what truth do you want each one of your sons and daughters to know right now? If they're a thinker, give them a thought and help them to think on that thought of truth. If they feel you, give them a feeling of what you want them to feel from you, Lord, to fill that place. If they're a seer inside, give them pictures of truth and speak to those pictures. If they hear inside, Lord, let my voice back away and let them hear the still small voice of your voice by your spirit. Lord, if some of them had memories today, Lord, and it's your heart and your will to heal their heart this way, show up in that memory. Show them where you were that day and what your heart was towards them. There may be a little boy or a little girl that needs rescued. Would you just go and rescue that little boy or that little girl right now? Will you, will you help your sons and daughters to see you coming to them and wrapping your arms of love around them? Help them to feel your embrace, Lord. There's, there's a few folk here that really need your embrace. Some things can only be said in a hug, Lord. Would you wrap your arms of love around that son or that daughter? Embrace them. Maybe for the first time, help them to feel safe and secure in their lives. I keep hearing God say, it's not your fault. I don't know who that's for. But it's not your fault. You didn't cause it. It's not yours to own. If that's for you, I want you to just receive that right now. Just grab a hold of that. I see God reclothing some of you. I hear him saying they still think they're dirty. They're not clean. Tell them they're clean. Tell them I'm reclothing them. Tell them I've only ever seen them in white garments. Yeah. Yeah, they're, just receive it. I hear him saying, tell that one that I know that you got treated falsely and you got betrayed and it wasn't right and I'm sorry it happened to you.
If that's you, receive that from him. I just hear him saying for one of you, you got a false deal. You got lied about, your reputation got destroyed, and he says, I know it, and I was there, and I walked you through it, and it wasn't my will. And he wasn't happy about it. And you thought he wasn't there. And I hear him saying, the only way you got through it was because I was there. You just couldn't see me, but I was there. I saw how angry you got. I saw the tears you cried. I was there. I hear him saying to another one of you, I'm really glad you didn't end your life. I'm really glad that even though you didn't feel it, you listened to me in your mind and you didn't end your life. Because I got so many things in store for you. And for a number of you, I just hear him saying, and I'll close with this. I just hear him saying, I love you. Son, daughter, I love you with an everlasting love. I don't leave you. I don't forsake you. For yours, Lord, yours is the kingdom. And yours is the power. And yours is the glory. Right now and forever. In Jesus' name.